Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. Here are your co-hosts, Doug Maurice and Shahan Jeharaja. And we're back on the College Football Survivor Show. Time for the ACC. Doug Maurice, Shahan Jeharaja. We've done a playoff preview for the Big 12, then a playoff preview for the SEC. I would direct you to those two shows. Giving you the ACC now. Next up, the plan is the Big 10, and then we'll get to the Pac-12. Off the top, there's a lot going on with Northwestern football and Pat Fitzgerald. Uh, I, I have to make the joke, but like I don't want it to be too much of a joke. Uh, impressive stuff from a journalism school that's not accredited anymore. But, uh, you know, I think that's obviously... That is a joke. A very niche joke. They're not accredited anymore? <laughs> there's they're not accredited there's like one real? specific accreditation that they're not a part of anymore. And people have gone and made hilarious what? jokes about that. What is the audience? What is the audience for journalism accreditation <laughs> jokes? I was not it's like, hey, Just I got a good eight minutes on journalism accreditation. <laughs> wow, I feel like they should. Well, they should try to get that back. <laughs> yeah, it's, oh, it's um, as of May 1st, 2017, Medill was no longer accredited through the Accrediting Council on Education in Journalism and Mass Communications. Cool. I don't know. Like, What's the deal with journalism accreditation? Doug, did you even graduate from college at this point? Uh, is, is your degree still valid? It's been rescinded. <laughs> I might be giving it back after all this. I don't <laughs> care. Take it. I went to Northwestern. My wife went to Northwestern. My daughter is a current student at Northwestern. So it's like, I don't want to avoid this because I think it's horrible. But, um, you know, so we just get the emails earlier than anybody else because we're currently giving them money. <laughs> yes. And the yes. president's uh, like, Hey guys, uh, I might have screwed up on this one. It's like, you think? Do you think you might have? Listen, man, uh, again, people know I was at Baylor from 2012 to 2016. My wife was also at Baylor at the same uh, time period. You want to have some scandal talk, man? We can start a whole nother podcast. We got a, we got Seriously. plenty of material. <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about journalism accreditation and we can talk about scandals. The college football program survivor show. <laughs> Can your program survive? No, the answer is no. After Doug and Shahan get associated with them. So anyway, Northwestern's a mess. And I think, I think obviously, you know, my, my thoughts are with all the people who have come out. You know, I, I know that uh, it, I, I want to commend the people who have gone on the record, which there has been one or two who have done that at this point. That's not an easy thing to do, uh, to kind of put yourself out there and open yourself to, to ridicule and criticism in that kind of way. So I think that obviously the big thing we hope from this is that Northwestern as a program can be better heading forward. And uh, I think that that's all, you know, the most that we can hope heading forward is that uh, there's accountability and and people are made better. Okay, let's talk ACC. We have a format that we do here. We talk about playoff contenders, we talk about spoilers, we talk about the most important games, that kind of thing. Shahan, when we did the Big 12 and the SEC I don't know that I was surprised or impressed. I don't know what the right, right word is, but we noted that there were just a lot of veteran quarterbacks, guys who had played a lot of snaps, started a lot of games in both those conferences, even if they were maybe at new schools. It's interesting. The ACC a year ago, this preview when we did the ACC was all about the quarterbacks. And then like it kind of maybe didn't exactly go how everybody thought it was going to go. Right. Devin Leary at North Carolina State, like he got hurt then he get hurt a little bit. And then like Brennan Armstrong was at Virginia and you thought he was going to be good. And then he actually now transferred to North Carolina State. Sam Hartman at Wake Forest was good, but now he left. He transferred to Notre Dame. 
We know Drake May was really good. There are some interesting quarterbacks in this league, Shahan. And there's a couple guys at the top that we have to talk about. But it's not maybe quite the level of anticipated quarterback play I think that we maybe thought we saw in the Big 12 in the SEC. No, and I think a central part of that is you mentioned, obviously, a number of guys who we thought were going to be pretty good kind of not being what we hoped. Uh, Another part of that, too, is that a lot of those guys are back, but they're not with the schools that they started their careers with. Right. Obviously, you mentioned Brennan Armstrong started at Virginia, is going to be at NC State this year. Sam Hartman at Wake Forest transferred out of the ACC, and he was as good as advertised last year, of course. Um, I, I think that you look like you mentioned at, uh, at NC State's former starter going to Kentucky. Phil Dracovic went from Boston College to Pitt within the ACC as a starting quarterback. So even out of the guys who stayed in the conference, it's a lot of that wasn't supposed to go that way. That wasn't as good as I hoped it was going to be. Maybe it's time for a fresh start. And I think you can even describe that in some cases with guys who are coming back to their schools as well. Grant Wells, I have down as leading ACC quarterbacks at Virginia Tech with starts. A bunch of his starts were at Marshall, though. He was the starting quarterback at Virginia Tech last year. I have him with 34. Jordan Travis at Florida State, 27. That's a real dude. That's the best quarterback in the ACC. Jack Plummer at Louisville. Started off his career at Purdue, was the starter at Cal last year. Now he's at Louisville with Jeff Brom because Jeff Brom went from Purdue to Louisville. He has 25 career starts. Garrett Schrader at Syracuse last year took over early in the season, formerly at Mississippi State. He has 25 career starts. But Phil Dracovic has 24 career starts at Boston College, now at Pitt. It's just a a little bit of an odd collection. And then, for instance, Cade Klubnick at Clemson, Top recruit in the country. Everybody was waiting for him to take over for DJ last year. He did come into their bowl game. He didn't. He doesn't have a career start. DJ wound up starting every game at Clemson last year. He's now at Oregon State. So Cade Klubnick is among the least experienced starters in the ACC. Drake May at North Carolina, we'll certainly talk about. He started uh, the games last year for the Tar Heels. He's a huge NFL draft prospect. Tyler Van Dyke at Miami had like early Heisman buzz last year, then kind of lost his job, but now is back. Like a very weird year for him. So it's, it's kind of weird. But there's a couple people at the top, a couple teams at the top. And we start off with how many playoff contenders are there in each league? How many in your mind are in the ACC, Sean? It's hard for me to get past two. And those two are pretty straightforward. It's Clemson, it's Florida State, the two teams from the ACC that have ever made the college football playoff, two of the biggest brands in the conference, certainly. Uh, You know, in Clemson, you have the team that won the ACC last year, Florida State had a really good 10-win season and uh, is one of... These are also the only two programs in in the ACC that have won a college football playoff during the college football playoff era. Or actually, even Florida State was a year before that. But uh, I I can't see myself getting past that top two. I think there's a pretty significant gap between this top two and the rest of the teams in the conference. Yeah, I don't think I can get there either. You look even for a stretch. I'm not even... Like, I don't even know where you stretch. We did. I think I had pit as one of my dark horses, right? We had a pit conversation. And I like pit as a dark horse, but I can't I can't sit here and say like, oh yeah, 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 like true playoff contender, right? And so I don't I'm not even sure who I think is the third best team in the ACC. Do you have a firm grasp on who you think that is, which is why we can't get there with a third team? No, I I really want to be clear that I don't want to be disrespectful to Pitt and to some of the teams that have had really nice years over the past couple of years. But part of it has been a vacuum. There, There really not just haven't been teams at the top. There haven't even really been all that many teams in the middle over the past couple of years. If you have to pick this upcoming season, I think that North Carolina with Drake May is probably the the place to go. Uh, NC State and Duke also. So I guess, you know, the three teams in the research triangle, they're also going to be teams to watch. But again, like we're talking about these teams as nice eight to nine win teams. We're not talking about them as ones who even have a chance to compete for the ACC. Like the one that we're going to be waiting on in addition to Pitt is going to be Miami and we really don't know what direction that's going to go. But like, chances are, out of all the teams that I named, a number of them <clears throat> are going to be bottom half teams in college football this upcoming season. And when you think about Clemson and Florida State, I think pretty definitively Florida State has the best offense in the ACC with Jordan Travis as quarterback, 
with Johnny Wilson and at receiver and the transfer of Keon Coleman at the receiver position with the with a good offensive line. And then I think pretty definitively Clemson has the best defense in the ACC with their defensive line with Jeremiah Trotter at linebacker, the kind of Clemson doing what they do. And then probably if it works with Garrett Riley as the new offensive coordinator at Clemson, if it works with Cade Klubnick as a first-year starter, as a five-star, that backfield with Phil Shipley and Phil Maffa, Clemson should have the second-best offense. And then led by Jared Verse at Edge, who's one of the best pass rushers in the country, Florida State should probably have the second-best defense. So when it, like that is a consolidation at the top. And I think when we talk about the Big 12 and we say, man, I don't know if there's a playoff team in there, but there's some really good teams there. And we, we're going to talk about the Pac-12 in that way. And we talked about it, you know, there's at least three in the SEC and there's at least three when we get to the Big 10, I think. I really do think this is the smallest group of contenders, but within that, Florida State is a thousand percent legit in my mind. And if Garrett Riley gets the Clemson offense back on track. And if Cade Klubnick is ready in year two, then I think Clemson is completely legit. So the top of this conference might be really good. And then when you talk about pathways, it's like, okay, well, good. They play each other. Cool. Maybe they'll play each other again in the ACC championship game. But I don't know that there's a ton of people going to knock these top two teams off. No. I mean, I think that they, when you look at them and their ACC schedule specifically, it would be a shock for these to not be the top two teams. I think it would in some ways be a failure. This is the first year that we're going to full 1v2 in this uh, this ACC championship game structure. So we are going to get the two best teams, even though historically these teams have both been in the Atlantic. That's not going to be a factor anymore. I mean, just looking up and down Clemson's schedule, looking up and down Florida State's schedule, the toughest games that they probably play outside of playing each other on September 23rd, keep that in mind, we're going to get to that in a second, both of them play tough non-conference games. Florida State playing against LSU and Clemson playing against uh, Notre Dame. And that's kind of where we're at. Also, I'm assuming this is the case. I feel like we need to address it. We're not counting Notre Dame. No, they can't be counted when they join a conference. No, they don't get a podcast. They don't get a podcast. <laughs> so, Liberty, you get a podcast, Notre Dame, no more. No, they, they can be they can join at any time. They're more than welcome to join a conference and have a robust discussion on the College Football Survivor Show. This is the penalty. Your independence, great. Kind of all kinds of bonuses. You get your own network. You, you don't get a you don't put a podcast here. Well, if we get to if we get to the preseason, fine. But no, no, they're not in the <laughs> ACC. Are they in the ACC, Shahan? They are not. In are the they ACC. in the ACC? Uh, they are oh. in sports that aren't football. Yeah. So if this was a softball podcast, we talk about. Them. We're not talking about them here. Okay. <laughs> Well, this is a playoff show, and we still talked about Texas. Yeah, I knew. I was trying to figure out my Notre Dame version of that joke, and you just brought it back to Texas anyway. That's probably better. Spoiler. Here's my spoiler, and I will have maybe a, a, a heartier discussion about this later. Duke plays at Florida State on October 21st, and Duke gets Clemson in the Labor Day primetime opener. And Duke has a quarterback named Leonard Riley. No, his name's Riley Leonard. But I kind of, if it was be more old school, if his name was Leonard Riley, yeah. If he was if he was born in 1940, his name would be Leonard Riley. He was born in 2000, so his name is Riley Leonard. Who is a first-round NFL draft prospect, and he's going to open the season against Clemson. And I don't know. Cade Klubnick's really good, but like I've this is like the conversation that I've been having a million times about Ohio State. It's like, well, Kyle McCord's the expected starter for Ohio State. You think he's going to be really good. He's never done this before. And they play Sam Hartman in Notre Dame in week four. So, okay, I don't know, Shahan. Clemson start a new quarterback. They have a great defense, but here's a guy. I mean, you can find mock drafts. Mock drafts are dropping now already. Where Riley Leonard's in the top 10. And he gets Clemson in prime time that I don't know. I did not look up every moment of Duke football history would be the greatest win in Duke football history. Go beat Clemson to open the season. So could Duke, they get Clemson and Florida State with that kind of quarterback play. Could they be a spoiler? I mean, look, Duke beat Baylor when my wife was in grad school there. So I, that has to be the biggest win since before that, I assume. 
That, did they, I mean, I think there's a very motivating factor for your wife to be in grad school at that point. And Duke was like, we got to take her down. I know, I know. She, we, we had to, we had to get into the conversation. Like, what kind of shirt are you going to wear? Are you going to wear a Baylor shirt? Are you going to wear a Duke shirt? We didn't really know. Didn't they have like a really nice season in 2014? That sounds familiar. I I feel like uh, they probably had at least one. Oh my gosh. You know who was defensive coordinator on that Duke team? In 2014. Jim Knowles. Jim Knowles. Jim Knowles. Yeah. Jim Knowles. How about that? Uh, yeah. $2 million a year defensive coordinator for Ohio State now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, looking up and down the board, uh, I, I don't know. There's a, a very good win on the schedule. Anyway. Anyway. So, yeah, maybe. No, it, it would be a really big win for them. The thing I question with Duke, because I, I like this pick. I like their upside. To compete with these two big dogs, I feel like you have to have a certain baseline of talent and ability and explosiveness and they've got the quarterback i have no doubts about that i don't know roster wise if they can hang for 60 minutes uh i think that you even look at them last season that was something that came to bite them a few times was just the fact that they're still building up a roster and i really like mike elko i think he's going to have this thing figured out very very soon but it's a lot i mean they open Against Clemson, that's also, I think, yeah. an interesting factor. That's that's, uh, that's opportunity. That's opportunity, baby. Prime time on Labor Day. Yeah, yeah. So, I I don't. I, I like the pick. I like the pick a lot. I I am trying to figure out for myself if I can get there on Duke to being a spoiler level team, if that makes sense. Yeah. All right. Well, who's your spoiler? Yeah. So, I, this is a team that I'm definitely trying to figure out where to slot, but. I feel like NC State has just like gotten underrated for some reason. And they've got a situation right now that I am very intrigued by. Also, I will mention they play Clemson on October 28th at home. That's going to be a big time game for them. But NC State, you know, last year they go eight and four in the regular season. And uh, when Devin Leary's in the lineup, their only loss is to Clemson. They go five and one to start the year, and then Devin Leary gets hurt, and it's kind of just not the same after that. Well, they're bringing in Brennan Armstrong, who led the nation in passing yards in 2021. And by the way, this is the important part. They're bringing in his offensive coordinator from 2021, Robert Unne, who was the offensive coordinator at Virginia under Bronco Mendenhall. He was at Syracuse last year, and I mean, Syracuse, had a really, really good, especially start to the season. It, it kind of finished a little shaky, but again, similar depth concerns that maybe you have with Duke. And so NC State, uh, they only get Clemson. They don't get Florida State. That's probably one knock against them being a spoiler. But I do think that they have that baseline of talent. I do think they have that baseline of ability. They've got a quarterback who I think is just going to be able to get back so much more to what he does well. I mean, I... I don't know what Tony Elliott's doing out there, to be frank, over these last two years or so. (laughs) Like, it is not working, whatever it is. And I'm excited for Brendan Armstrong to get back with a coordinator who I think understands his skill set just a little more. I mean, he's not somebody who's going to just stand back in the pocket and deal. Like, he needs to be on the move. And I think he's going to have a chance to do that at NC State with a defense that I think should also be pretty spicy. So I think that they're absolutely a team that could upset Clemson. I wouldn't be shocked at all. If they're in a situation where if they beat Clemson, then maybe they're in kind of a weird place where like they could win a tiebreaker over Florida State or Clemson, for example, and maybe even knock them out of the uh, ACC title game. Because I just don't see very many possibilities for that being the case. But I think that NC State is one of the teams that can do it. I like it. And it is. It's just uh, it's it's an odd conference that there there might be somebody out there hiding that we're not thinking of but it's just it's hard to get a handle on all right quick break when we come back we'll talk about the biggest games in the acc this year next on the college football survivor show the college football survivor show where playoff survival is always on the line with threats to our nation waiting around every corner adaptability is more important than ever when conditions change without notice quick strategic thinking is crucial and with obstacles consistently impending Determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, we're back. This is, let's talk about the game. 
Right, there's no doubt about it. It's Florida State at Clemson. You you can't call it the game. You're, you you live in Columbus, man. No, I know. Like well, I can't. What do you call a game? Let's talk about this game. That game. The is trademarked. <laughs> I know. I uh, know for real. I'm gonna get sued. One's game. One might say that this game could be interesting. This game. That, that's what we should call this one. This game. <laughs> this game. It's Florida State Clemson. Clemson has won seven straight in this rivalry, and it really was um, a passing of the torch in some ways in this rivalry. You think, I mean, Clemson has had some success, but but Clemson wins, excuse me, Florida State wins three straight, 12, 13, 14. So the 2013 season, Florida State's national champion. They beat Clemson in the regular season. 14 is the first year of the playoff. Clemson doesn't make the playoff. Florida State's still winning that game. And then in 2015, it's like the arrival of Clemson. Florida State's number one. They're number one. They won an overtime game against Clemson on September 20th, 2014. And then Clemson, 23-13. They win in 2015. They've won seven straight. And that was Clemson taking over the ACC. So they took it from Florida State. You got to, right? You got to beat the best to be the best. They did. Because Florida State, right at the beginning of this playoff era, they were the last national champion in the old system. They made the playoff in 14. They were undefeated. They made the playoff as a three seed. And then starting in 2015, Clemson goes on this playoff run. This could be the passing of the torch back to Florida State. And that might be too much. It might just be two top 10 teams and Florida State wins. Or it's a chance for a re-announcement of this Florida State program, Shahan. So I love how this shakes out. I like that it's early. It's week four, the biggest conference game of the season for the ACC. It's at Clemson, but this is, I don't know, this is probably the biggest game that Florida State's going to play since Florida State lost that playoff semifinal to Oregon at the end of the 2014 season. No doubt. And one thing to mention is that uh you know, Florida State only lost by six points last year. They needed some stuff to go their way down at the end there. They they scored, uh, I think it was 14 unanswered points in the fourth quarter. But, like, they were there. And Clemson was an undefeated team at that point. Florida State was a multiple-loss team at that point. And in some ways, I think that that game and that loss helped set Florida State on the path where they realized we can compete with teams like Clemson. And from that point in the season... Uh, I believe, yeah, they were undefeated after that point. They won six straight games to end the season after that fourth quarter run against Clemson. And so I think you have to feel pretty good about what Florida State can learn from that game, how they can kind of come in and uh, and potentially compete with Clemson. It's going to be a big opportunity for them. And especially the other part of this, too, is one, they're a more experienced team flat out. Clemson might have a talent advantage. Florida State has a pretty major experience advantage. And the other part of it, too, is that while the game is on the road, Florida State will have played a major game already to this point. Clemson opens with that Duke game, like you mentioned, but then Charleston Southern and FAU can't, 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 out, uh, count, can't count out Tom Herman, is what I'm trying to say. But you can, like, a little count out Tom Herman. Uh, and then you play Florida State in week four, whereas Florida State well, it's played a huge, like, earth-shattering type game against LSU in the opener. Again, one that we're probably going to get to in just a second. They're going to play at Boston College the week before, too, which I think is also kind of a nice tune-up game. It's real competition to maybe try some stuff out against. And then you get Clemson. So it's a big one. We're probably going to get a rematch of it. And so that takes, like, 5% of the luster off of it. But I don't think it takes that much off of it because... If you lose this game, you have to be perfect outside of this one. And that's going to be, I think, pretty difficult. So that's a huge game. And you mentioned this LSU-Florida State opener. We've talked about this with the various things we've talked about. We talked about it from the LSU perspective of that LSU-Florida State opener when we did the SEC. We talked about Alabama-Texas, both from the Big 12 perspective and the SEC perspective. You clearly have LSU-Florida State in that opener on your list. Does Florida State need to win that game in a world where it feels like the rest of the ACC maybe isn't going to be that good? They have a chance to play Clemson twice. Yeah, it takes some wiggle room away. But if Florida State loses that 
game to LSU, I'm not going to come away thinking like, well, that's it. Their season's over. How are you going to think about that matchup for Florida State? Let's think back to the 2021 season when we had a game that I think had some similarities to this, and that's Clemson versus Georgia. And that was an incredibly close game. But that win helped set Georgia on their national championship chase. And it kind of helped derail Clemson and made them miss the playoff for the first time since I think it was 2014, maybe 2015. So it was a big game. It wasn't the definitive game. Clemson would have still gotten in if they had won all the rest of their games. But it set the tone for the season right off the top. And if you think that Florida State is going to be this kind of team, and by the way, if if Florida State beats LSU in week one, they're going to be a top four team, potentially top five team in the country. The headlines are going to be about them heading into Clemson, not the other way around. So do they need to win it? I don't think that it's an absolute need, but I think that it's it's a big deal. It's a really big deal. And I think that not only would it bring some credibility for Florida State, I think it also earns wiggle room for the league. Uh, you know, the ACC is not like the SEC who we just talked about. They're more like the Big 12. You need to win a couple of these big time matchups to earn your league credibility. And you know, going back to the concept of absorption, right? Like t- to be able to pick up some of that credibility that LSU has earned and be able to bank off of what they do the rest of their season as well. So it's not it's not do or die, I'd say. But like if you lose that game, you gotta beat Clemson twice. And that's a tall order. And even then, I don't even think that you're guaranteed a spot as a 12 and 1 ACC champion if you've lost to LSU, who might be fighting for a second SEC spot in the playoff. So I bought the that Texas, we decided Texas needs to beat Alabama for that absorption principle, because I don't think there's any absorption within the Big 12 itself. Because if Texas doesn't beat Alabama, like who's going to Texas, who's Texas going to beat in the Big 12? Let's get to impress people. Texas Tech, obviously. Well, you, we already listened. No yeah. more, no Joey McGuire leaking into the ACC show. Go listen to the Big 12 show. Plenty of Joey McGuire there. I think both Clemson and Florida State have good enough reputations going into the season. They're both going to be top 10 preseason teams, I think, that I think they can self-absorb they're going to get the juice from each other that I it's not as necessary to me for Florida State to win this game. But I get you putting it on the list. I'm very curious about Florida State and Clemson looking the part and feeling like, hey, we're headed for a, a rematch in the ACC championship game. is going to be awesome. And then getting tripped up in November. Interesting November games for these teams. And I had these like in the mix of like, oh, the three biggest games of the year. Clemson versus Notre Dame on November 4th, you've got to have on that list. Clemson at North Carolina on November 18th, I think is interesting from a Drake May perspective. And we think about this, this is what happened to Clemson last year. It wasn't an ACC game, but they lose to South Carolina in the last game of the regular season. And it derails what at that point were pretty good playoff hopes. And then for Florida State, they get Florida, that rivalry in the last game of the regular season. Florida State won it last year. But it was close, and Florida had won the three previous ones. Jordan Travis, again, who I think is a a very legit Heisman candidate, I think was 13 of 30 passing in that game against Florida last year, but he won it with his legs. He ran for almost 90 yards. So I can just see Shahan like, hey, maybe Florida State beats LSU. Maybe they play each other, and they both look awesome. And here we go. The ACC is ready for an awesome November, and then something happens. And so I'm very curious about who, like, these are good teams. Notre Dame, North Carolina, Florida, there's all possibilities there. I have it on my radar for a, I'm not going to call it a spoiler, but it, a mini upset in November that kind of messes up the ACC's hopes. No, I mean, I, I think that there are a lot of opportunities there. And the big thing that I'll say is that, you know, we're talking about Georgia having the upside of being essentially a flawless team. Right. Like we're talking about them being able to win all of their games. When we have a Michigan and Ohio State conversation, we're going to talk about them like that. Neither Clemson nor Florida State are that kind of team. You know, I talked about it with Texas even and with Oklahoma, where you're going to be favored in 11 games, but you're not so favored that you can't mess up. And I, I think that this home stretch of the season, especially for Florida State, I think you're right. It's going to be very interesting. <sighs> I might put Florida State in that level, man. I I love Florida State this year so much. I just think on both veteran quarterback, both sides of the ball. Yeah. Talent, both sides of the ball. I don't know. I 
I get it, and I really like what they showed. But like, I feel like the way that we talk about Florida State, just to give a comparison, is like better than the way that we talk about Washington, for example. And Washington won 11 games, and Florida State lost three. And also, by the way, probably arguably should have lost to Oklahoma in their bowl game. Now, it's a bowl game. I don't put that much stock in it. Like, I... And they should have lost to to LSU, too. They were worse than LSU in that game. So, like, we are pretty dang close to this being, what, an 8-5 and team? And they weren't. They brought in a lot more. I like the direction of their team. Like you said, they've got the best quarterback in the conference. Even if they had gone 8-5, and I think that we would have projected them to be in this playoff conversation just based off what we saw and some of their close game luck, because a lot of their losses were pretty close as well. People are projecting them too much as a home run to me for me to feel comfortable. I think they're a home run to be a top 10 team, but like the top four is the top four. There's some really good teams. I mean, Pittsburgh a couple years ago, Wake Forest with Sam Hartman. There have been some really good teams that come through the ACC that haven't come all that close to sniffing being a top four team. And I think Florida State is probably better than that. I, I feel comfortable enough with them to put them comfortably in a top four conversation like we're going to do. But I, I can't get all the way there I, on, on Florida State to where they're just a surefire, no doubt home run. They are much more in the Texas category to me, in the Oregon category that we'll get to in a couple uh, a couple episodes, right? Where they're a great team who I think absolutely can win the conference and give themselves a chance, but I don't view them in that top group. What do you think, I just looked on a betting app, what do you think the line is for the Clemson-Florida State game? in the fourth week of the year at Clemson? I'm going to guess Clemson minus four and a half. Clemson minus two and a half. Okay. So, so basically a coin you know, flip. Basically, home field, coin basically a coin flip game. Yes. So that's the way people are seeing it. I, I will say, I do feel like Florida State did well in the transfer portal. Yes. Which I think helps. And just getting Jared Verse back when he could have totally. gone pro and been a totally. first-round pick at edge. I just think, I, I love Hakeem Williams coming in as a five-star receiver. Yeah, there's a lot. Like, I think they... I think they were good and they they got better. Like I think the best parts of Washington are Washington's bringing back and we'll do a Pac-12 show, bringing back Michael Penix and two thousand yard receivers and some good guys on the defensive line. But I, I think Florida State added to what was a pretty good team. So that's maybe why I'm higher on Florida State. Okay, but but I do think that Washington was better than Florida State last year, and and I don't think that we talk about that enough. Also, you might be right. I I don't I I don't think on this show we've underrated Washington. I think we both like Washington. I'm in love with Florida State. I really think if I was ha- if I was voting in the preseason, I really think I would have Michigan one, Florida State two right now. And that's okay. the kind of thing where you hear that and you, and you shake your head a little bit and say, <laughs> say that's a little bit too much. Can I ask a question very quickly What's before that? we move on? Did your chair start to sink in the middle of the show? You were vanishing from the <laughs> screen momentarily. You've rectified the situation. You've gotten everything straight. And you handled it like a professional. But why were you disappearing briefly as we talked? No, I I am a grown-up and I have a standing desk. And I never use it. You have it. I do. I do. I, I never use it to podcast because now I've got a stand. My hips were getting real tight, man. I, I needed to stretch out a little oh. bit. So I, I just went okay. ahead and uh, while you were talking, <laughs> boosted that on up. So, that, so let me ask. Okay. So a standing desk. You stand at your desk most of the day. You stand. You stand. Not not most. Not most. I'd say I'd say there are times that I go like 60-40 stand. I'm probably more a little bit right now in a 40-60 stand right now. Um, I also, by the way, have a desk treadmill. I, I have a treadmill under the desk that I can walk on while standing at my desk. Have you ever done it on this podcast? No. Have you ever been on the treadmill? Because you noticed, right? Like you, you, uh, you, you noticed how uh, how I shifted the desk and stood up. So no, I've never done that. It's too loud for me to be able to podcast. I can write with it though. Okay. So you, the standing desk, it shifts. It's one like it has a. It goes up and down. You can raise level. My desk is a TV tray. <laughs> I was, I was, uh, by the way, last week I was visiting my in-laws and so I was podcasting from my wife's childhood bedroom and I was kind of amused because I don't know what, I, I think the walls that we were podcasting from were the same color. There, is there a wall lime green behind you? 
Uh, it looks that way. It's it's yellow. Okay, actually, it's yellow. Too. Okay, it's it's similar. It's similar. Yeah. So it, that was definitely making me laugh because I have like my setup over here, right? Like I've got all my you know magazine covers and stuff kind of displayed behind me. But you know, again, sometimes you just gotta. It, it's a it's not a visual medium, so it's not really that big a deal when I'm podcasting from a teenager's bedroom right like from a you know that sounded really weird my wife's childhood (laughs) teenage bedroom (laughs) you guys know what i mean you guys know what i mean Uh, we can cut that but uh (laughs) but yeah there was one time last year where it was over christmas break and we were at a rental in florida and I was in a room and I realized like a quarter of the way through the podcast, this place is echoing like hell. So like, you know, oh. it's nice to be in here and know what I'm going to expect and like be able to have a different monitor up here and be able to have the mic that I always use instead of my travel mic. Anyway, this this can't be more interesting than accreditation talk. No, no, no. This is what we think of the ACC. There's two teams in the ACC, so we're talking about all kinds of different things. Sometimes you have to put your a blanket over your head to podcast if you're in a hotel room. I've definitely done that. I've had people tell me to do it, and then you have You've to make sure the blanket show. doesn't rub up yeah, against yeah. the mic. Yeah. yeah. So sometimes you just never know. Okay, okay. Off the radar game that might be of interest, and <laughs> I'm undercutting my own choice here. Okay. Because I picked North Carolina Duke. Yes. Because both Drake May and Riley Leonard are being viewed as potential top 10 picks in the next NFL draft. And I thought, man, how about that? If you have a game, North Carolina Duke at North Carolina on November 11th, where you have these two giant NFL prospects going head to head in a quarterback battle, unlike anything we've probably ever seen in that rivalry. And then I went back to November 12, 2016. <laughs> yes. When, when the New York Giants were playing against, uh, well, I guess, uh, I, I guess, uh, Jameis was gone at this point. Did Jameis and Daniel Jones ever overlap? Oh, why am I saying no, so? Jameis? This is, this is, this is Carolina. This is the Mitch Trubisky Daniel Jones showdown on November 12, 2016. I should know that better than anybody. For real. You should know this. I drove to El Paso to watch Mr. Trubisky play in a bowl game, so what? I should also know it very well. I drove from Phoenix, Arizona to El Paso, Texas, because I was covering the Ohio State Clemson. I've talked about this on this okay. podcast. I was covering That's the Ohio fair. State Clemson semifinal at the Fiesta Bowl, and the Sun Bowl was Stanford, North Carolina, and I knew the Browns were going to be there watching Mr. Trubisky. So I watched Browns general manager, Sashi Brown, watch Mitch Trubisky play in that game. Because it's like, are the Browns going to take Mitch Trubisky number one in the draft? And they didn't. And it's the only time that I've ever been in New Mexico. And I, it was me driving across New Mexico in the middle of the night from Phoenix to El Paso. Anyway, November 12, 2016, a 28-27 Duke victory over North Carolina. It was Duke's only ACC win of the season that year. And Daniel Jones' first year as a starting quarterback. He was 22 of 34 for 240 yards. He also ran it 16 times for 94 yards and two touchdowns. Mitch Trubisky was 24 of 33 for 297 yards, three touchdowns, two picks. Mitch Trubisky went on to be the number two pick in the 2017 draft after that season. Daniel Jones stuck around for two more years as Duke starter. He was the number six overall pick in the 2019 draft. You had two top 10 quarterbacks going head to head in the Duke-North Carolina rivalry, which is what you might have again on November 11th this season and Shahan in 2016, I'm not sure anybody cared. So I'm looking for an off-the-radar game. Are college football people going to be clamoring for this Riley Leonard-Drake May matchup in November? Or is it going to be like, I don't know. Like, it's, they're going to get drafted, but otherwise, nobody cares. Well, by the way, you did get to enjoy uh, my my hometown product, Solomon Thomas, absolutely wrecked that Sun Bowl, I believe. I believe that was that Sun Bowl. So he went to the same oh, high school you. as me. Yeah. So he was uh, only two years behind nice. me. Yeah. Yeah. Get him on the pod. Can we get him on the pod? I, I can't. I mean, God bless Solomon Thomas. I don't think he's that busy right now. I think we could probably get him on the okay. podcast. We can get him. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, his mom was actually a substitute teacher and she was absolutely wonderful. So she loved talking about him. Anyway. Get her. Get her on the <laughs> we'll, podcast. We'll get, we'll get Solomon Thomas's mom on the podcast. It'll be great. Uh, anyway, 
Yeah, so this is the kind of game that we're going to be telling people to care about a lot. And I don't know if it's a game that we'll actually get people to care about, if you know what I mean. I do think that people are in on the Drake May thing. I think that people understand what Drake May is and that he is going to be probably the number two pick in the draft this upcoming year after Caleb Williams, maybe three. I don't think people are in right the second on Riley Leonard, but maybe this is a game where Riley Leonard goes crazy and like shocks Drake May and people turn on this game in the second quarter at some point and are like, who is this quarterback? And I could definitely see something like that happening. So I like the pick. I mean, I I also, by the way, went a little bit off board because it's kind of like, I don't know if Clemson or Florida State loses a game. That's like an off the radar game. But like, I, I like this in terms of setting a narrative for the rest of the conference as well. Good, thanks. All right, so who'd you pick then as your off-the-radar game? So this is a weird one, um, but I think that this is actually potentially going to be a very telling game about an ACC program and an SEC program. I'm going with Miami versus Texas A&M, and the reason that I'm doing that is we have two teams. Played last year, was a miserable game. Both teams went 5-7. and Uh, look like disasters after having just incredibly strong 2022 recruiting classes. And I think that both of these teams desperately need this game as a a bounce-back opportunity. Miami gets the benefit of it being at Hard Rock Stadium, of it being in, you know, whatever you want to call the city of Miami, the metro somewhere in Miami. And I think that it's the kind of game that, look, is is beating Texas A&M going to, absorb you into the college football playoff no of course not that's not really the point here but i do think that you can eat off some of that AM hype about their recruiting about what they're doing as a program about how you know genius their nil efforts are obviously there's a lot to deal with right now at miami that maybe might uh <laughs> preclude all of this you know they're they're kind of their nil situation seems like it maybe wasn't as good as it was a year or so ago but Mario Cristobal was hired here because he was going to transform this program. And we need to see legitimate progress, not just for Miami's sake, but I think also for the ACC's sake. I mean, Miami can't be an irrelevant team if the ACC is going to be much of anything long term. And certainly you have the top two and the top two look like they're in decent shape. But I think that Miami needs to at least be a competitive eight to nine win team and Again, after everything they invested in Mario Cristobal, after poaching Dan Radakovich as athletic director from Clemson, after the NIL stuff that they've done, the transfer stuff that they've added, I think that this is a very important narrative game for the trajectory of things at Miami. Because if they just get blown out, like I'm not saying that we'll have to declare the Mario thing a failure in year two by any means, but like there are legitimate warning signs that need to go up about where this thing is headed if they're not able to compete with Texas A&M in year two. I want to continue the Miami discussion, but we'll do it next after this on the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. All right, Shahan. So one of our other categories is team that's not a playoff contender now that will be in five years. And this is where I went Miami. And I agree with everything you're saying. Just to reset on Miami a little bit. Miami has been in the ACC for 19 years. Do you want to guess how many times in those 19 years Miami had finished in the top 10 of the final AP poll since they've joined the ACC? So I know they have zero ACC championships. I'm going to guess that they got one in there. It's zero. Okay. Okay. Do you want to guess how many times in the previous 19 years Miami finished in the top 10 of the final AP poll? I'm going to go with 12. 13. Yeah. 13. Yeah. So they got to the ACC and they stopped being Miami. Yep. Now, I don't know if they coincidentally, it was terrible timing for the ACC stop being Miami or part of why they stopped being Miami was because now they're in the ACC and they're in a conference with Florida State and they're in a conference with with Clemson and Virginia Tech and every, I don't know, anybody else that can make life harder. So I don't know. I don't know if this makes sense to be like Mario Cristobal. Now, they got two... In their 2023 recruiting class, they got two five-star offensive tackles, right? And Mario Cristobal is an offensive line goal. Francis Moiaga 
and Samson Okunlola. Wanted, wanted by everybody. Moyaga was down to Bama, Florida, Tennessee, and USC. Okunlola was down to Bama, Florida, and Michigan State. Miami won both those battles. Two five-star tackles, great place to start. Love it. Build there. I'm obsessed with tackles this year. Who has great tackles? So I like where they're going. They finished seventh with their recruiting class in the class of 2023. They're currently ranked 21st. But they've kind of recruited okay over the years. They've been in the teens. It's not like they were recruiting in the 40s. So it's got to be more than recruiting. And Mario Cristobal is a great recruiter. You watch the success at Oregon. He built that up. And Dan Lanning inherited a really good program. But then Dan Lanning also brought in a quarterback in Bo Nix to help that talent get over the top. I have another Miami tribute question for you. Do you want to guess when the last time was? I'll give you this question. When was the last time Miami had a quarterback drafted in the first, second, or third round of the NFL draft? It's a good question. Are we going all the way back to like Ken Dorsey? We're we're going beyond Ken Dorsey. Oh my lord. It's old, brother. <laughs> it is a long time ago. Is it Vinny Testaverde? It's, it, it's Vinny Testaverde <laughs> oh. in nineteen eighty seven oh, no. was the overall number one pick. Oh no. Now, Steve Walsh in 1989 was a number one was a first round pick in the supplemental draft okay okay so they had in 83 85 87 and 89 right every other year for that period of time they had a first round quarterback they had jim kelly then they had bernie kozar who was in the supplemental draft then they had vinnie testaverde then they had steve walsh who was in the supplemental draft but that's every other like they're every starting quarterback's a first round pick since then they had a fourth rounder in 92. Gino Toretta, you ever heard of him? He won yep. the Heisman. But he was a seventh <laughs> rounder in 93. They had a seventh rounder in 97. Ken Dorsey won a national championship, but he was a seventh rounder in 03. Mm. And Brad Kaya was a sixth rounder. Oh my gosh. Brad Kaya. That is like a. I, I don't know why I that's he was like a. Good. I, I don't know why it's like a triggering name. I, I don't know. Anyway, it's it's uh, like that's just one of those names. It's like, oh my God, Brad Kaya. What? So the point is, we went from a world of Jim Kelly, Bernie Kosar, Vinny Testaverde to they're winning with Gino Toretta and Ken Dorsey, but like they're not, they haven't any had a, had a quarterback that mattered for the NFL in like four, like thirty years. Right. So that's where we are with this. So Mario Cristobal, and again, look what Mario Cristobal built at Oregon, but like what helped Dan Lanning brought in Bo Nix. They got to get somebody. Now, maybe it's Tyler Van Dyke. There was a lot of, like, some Dark Horse Heisman buzz about that guy a year ago. Mario Cristobal, like, once they started losing, was like, I don't know why everybody picked us to be good. I knew we were going to stink. They went five and seven. It's like, okay, Mario, it's fine. But I I do think they can build something there, Shahan. But they, like, if they don't get a quarterback, it's not going to matter. So that's where we are now. And Miami hasn't done that in the modern era. So put up your antenna for Mario Cristobal, the recruiter, Miami's NIL, anything they can work to get a quarterback in there. Because if you're competing against Jordan Travis and Cade Klubnik, and at times all these interesting quarterback names we've thrown in the ACC, Miami hasn't been that. So I'll say Miami as my team who's not a playoff contender now, who can be in five years. But if they don't cut a quarterback, that's going to be wrong. No, I mean, look, this answer has to be Miami frankly I actually do have another name because I don't know if I trust them but like it better be Miami like it would be a failure of all failures if Mario Cristobal cannot get this team into 12 team playoff contention it just would and I you mentioned it there's a lot of things that I like about the program I think that uh you know those tackles I'm really excited about them obviously they've developed at a really high level on the offensive line you mentioned quarterbacks. I like who they brought in to replace Josh Gaddis. Uh, Shannon Dawson over from Houston, obviously somebody who I have some familiarity with. Uh, he's a Dana Holgerson protege, so he's like mixing some spread and air raid type stuff. So the offense is going to be easier for the quarterback than it's been in the past, which I think will probably be a, a plus. But like we also have so much data of Mario Cristobal having really talented teams and them only being okay in terms of on-field coaching and in terms of quarterback development. I mean, the fact that we're sitting here now and, you know, 
Justin Herbert is like a top five quarterback in the NFL right now. And nobody would have ever thought him that during his time at Oregon. We thought, oh, that's a nice toolsy player. I mean, they also have to get the most out of that position. I mentioned it. I, I like bringing in Dawson. I think that he's somebody who's built a little bit better to maybe do that. But they have to get it right. They, they have to get it right. I think that Mario has to seed some more of the coaching stuff, like the day-to-day on-field coaching stuff to his assistant coaches and get guys in there who he trusts at a high level. And, you know, I felt like the people that he brought in and Kevin Steele on the defensive side of the ball and Josh Gaddis on offense, that, that seemed like it was going to be a pretty good fit, but it hasn't happened as yet. So we need to see that happen. We need to see that growth. And, you know, that's why I think that maybe the sex A&M game could be a linchpin game for them is because this is going to be the first real opportunity where they'll get to prove it against a team that can maybe give them some trouble. So if we would have done this five years ago and said, who's a team now that's not a playoff contender that will be in five years, I think we might've picked Florida state. Because Florida State was post-Jimbo Fisher. Willie Taggart was in there. I think we would have said, hey, we think Willie Taggart has a chance to get it going. And they stumbled around. They had four straight losing records between 18 and 21. But now they're 10 and 3, and now they're a playoff contender. They're absolutely playoff. So so you can lose it and get it back. So if Miami is questioning this because, listen, like they kind of haven't had it back for the last 19 years in the ACC. But Florida State got it back. Florida State wasn't down for 19 years, but Florida State got it back. Miami, I do think Miami can get it back. I don't think there's anything intrinsic there. We know all the issues there. You don't have a campus on stadium. You know, it's just there's South Beach. Maybe it's not quite like the college football atmosphere, but they did it before. And I don't think it's impossible. I don't think this is a Nebraska conversation. I don't, you know, like a, like a, hey, those days, this is not an army conversation. Those days are gone forever. I don't think they are. So I think we agree there. But you have another team? Who's your other team? I do. I do. So, I'm going to go with one of the more interesting hires of the offseason and go with Jeff Brom at Louisville. And this is a program that I would argue has been misunderstood by its own coaches in recent memory. Right? Like we, we've seen, obviously, Bobby Petrino be a pretty good on-field coach, but I don't think that he necessarily got Louisville the whole way. Certainly with Scott Satterfield, this is a direct example of Scott Satterfield not understanding what this job is. I mean, for people who don't know, like Louisville is an urban job. It is a city job. It is not Kentucky. It is not the the mountains. Like it is a city job. And you need to get a coach who understands that. Jeff Brom is synonymous with Louisville, obviously was a player over there, has been tied to the program for a long time. I believe was an assistant coach over there for a long time as well. He's going to get it. He's going to understand and get this job. We've seen some of the excitement and upside when it comes to Louisville and their NIL in the last little while. They had a great recruiting class put together before Scott Satterfield decided to leave, including one of the top running backs in the country and Ruben Owens from the state of Texas, who ultimately flipped to Texas A&M after the move. But they still got a a really nice quarterback coming in and Pierce Clarkson, who I'm going to be keeping a close eye on. Like, I, I just think that this is an example of fit and fit can be overrated at times. But I think that we started to see some of the pieces come together off the field under Scott Satterfield. And I think now, I mean, uh, I don't think it hurts that <laughs> they probably want something to be excited about with the with the basketball program going the way that it is right now. But I do think that Jeff Brom is that perfect guy to get into rooms to to really lead the athletic department. And look, is he going to be in a top four? No, I don't think so. But like, we're talking about people who can compete for that top 12 and compete for the ACC. And I do think that Louisville long-term can find their way into that conversation. Okay. That's a good pick. I like it. Playoff teams this year. In the end, how many teams do we think will make the playoff from the ACC? The ACC has not made the last two playoffs. And the absence of Clemson has opened doors. Cincinnati made it two years ago, along with two SEC teams. Two Big Ten teams made it last year. The ACC has opened the door. This is of great interest to the rest of college football because I do think, I think a one-loss ACC champ in a world where Florida State's playing LSU in the non-conference and Clemson's playing Notre Dame in the non-conference and they're playing each other in the regular season and they're probably playing in the title game again, I do think a 12-1, and if Florida State or Clemson emerges at 12-1 and from that, I think they're a lock. I, I don't know what the scenario is where there are four better candidates for the playoff than that. 
But if they stumble, a second Big Ten team's going to be waiting. A second SEC team's going to be waiting. The Pac-12 sure wants to get back in the playoff. So I will say one, because I really believe in Florida State, and I do think Clemson, I don't think Clemson's done. I don't think the Clemson era is over. And you and I have talked a lot about the Garrett Riley hire Going from TCU to Clemson as the offensive coordinator is maybe the most impactful assistant hire of the offseason. I'm fairly confident with my one in a world where it's been zero and zero the last two years. Where are you? No, I think that you're right. It should be one. Like if it's not one, I think that would be disappointing for the ACC. But I'm not that concerned. I do think that there is going to be a one loss team to come out. Probably the one, honestly, look at this season. Let's take a step back and look at this playoff picture this season. I do think that there is absolutely a possibility that we get a two-loss conference champion in at that four seed, potentially. It's just going to be a weird competitive year. So I do think that certainly you don't want to lose. And and especially the other part of it, too, is the nightmare scenario is Florida State winning the conference as a two-loss ACC team losing to Clemson in the regular season, beating them in the ACC title game, but losing to LSU and LSU or even another SEC team that beat LSU being that second team competing. That's where you will really run into trouble. That's where I think, uh, that's where I think Florida state, they don't have to win this game, but I think they'd really benefit from winning this game if they were to beat LSU early in the year and, and the conference in general would. So that would be the nightmare scenario so far. In the four-team playoff, and this is the last version of it, we haven't had the nightmare situation really come to fruition all that often. We've had one-loss teams every single year or better in the college football playoff. Almost every one-loss team until the last couple of years, until the last two years, I think, had gotten in. And we're talking like Texas A&M, who didn't win the division. We're talking Washington, who kind of like just got some bad luck and out of the, you know, so like, or actually, no, they were a two-loss team too. So like most of the one loss teams have made the playoff um, whenever you look back at history. And certainly a one loss conference champion should feel really good about their possibility. And once you add the road that they're going to have to take to get there, they should be in. I mean, I mean, just at the end of the day, they should be in. All time playoff appearances by, by conference. The ACC has seven, six by Clemson and one by Florida State. What, what happened SEC in that Florida 11. State uh, appearance? Did anything hilarious happen? I did. They tried. They tried their hardest. I think. Yeah, yeah. I assume that all the they passes went proud. I forward. I think. Right. Every pass. No, from I what think I, they just oh, oh, went gosh. to the Rose Bowl oh. and just showed uh, okay. Southern California what Florida State football is all about. Yeah, so yeah. yeah. Oh, weird. Okay, interesting. They lost Oregon. Yes, is what happened, Sean. Mark Mariota deserves. Title. Yes, they did. Mark Mariota deserves more respect, man. He he was so freaking good. That'd be a heck of a thing for Florida State. We had a, a conversation about this on the Buckeye Talk podcast around Ohio State. That, you know, oh, Ohio State won the first playoff championship. Now we're in the last of this era of the four-team playoff. What that mean? Florida State won the last title in the previous way of doing things. It would be a heck of a thing for Florida State now to win this last title before we go to a 12-team playoff. So we both, but we both feel good about the chance that the ACC set up for it. And again, there's, you start, this is, this is the reminder. Again, it's, I understand why these conferences went two no divisions and a one-two title game but it might not be the best thing so you just the more you set up the possibility of we have two good teams and now we're going to sort of make it very possible they play each other twice and then quite likely that they split and it's like who's that good for it's confusing i know that whereas if you just said okay like all right play once and then like we'll see what happens and then maybe there's like a not as great that's okay. The other division winners. I, I don't know. It's just one of these things. I, I I understand why they're doing it, but it could hurt more than it helps. It's going to be a definitively good thing starting next year when we get the top four conference champions and the other two make the field, because then it'll be a college football playoff play in game in almost every single case. And that will be a good thing. And that will be good for the sports heading into this though. I mean, look, <laughs> look back at history, right? Like you're talking about TCU. If they don't get that fire drill field goal off, then they lose out of the uh, the the playoff by losing, right? USC missed the playoff last year because they lost their conference championship game against a 1v2. Like, it's tough. And I'm glad that they're doing it. I think it's good for the sport. I love when conference championship games are real games that matter and not just whatever the hell it is that the Big Ten does. But 
I do think that ultimately uh, it will be something that makes a lot more sense when we head into a 12-team playoff where you're guaranteed a spot, essentially, if you win a Power 5 conference. But but you say whatever the heck the Big Ten does, but what the Big Ten is doing in this final year, if if the ACC was still doing this and you just had Clemson and Florida State in the Atlantic, and then it's like, okay, you have a de facto championship game in September when they play in the regular season, and then the winner of that game, you figure, wins its division, and then will play North Carolina or Pitt or somebody like that in the championship game. That's what the Big Ten's going to have. What the ACC has is like a world where, oh, the Ohio State-Michigan game, cool. And then they'll probably play again. Like, is that good when you're trying to when you're trying to get a team into a four team playoff? It's not good when you're trying to get into a twelve team playoff. It's different. But for this one year, the nightmare scenario that you outlined for the ACC is not that implausible. Because if you said right now, "Hey, if Florida State and Clemson play twice, what do you think is going to happen?" I don't know. Split. It's like, okay, well then, who's going to make the playoff? I don't know. That's very real. So I think that there's one part of this that you're not taking into account, which is that I love watching fun college football games. And uh, so from my perspective, you you say, what would you rather do? I know what I'd rather do. I'd rather watch a game that's awesome instead of a game that sucks. Uh, I don't want to watch Iowa get 42, get beat 42 to three. That's not fun. But those 13 people, they have 13 people in a room then who have to be like, well, who do we pick now? I will say, I will say though. I if we didn't have the existing Big Ten title game set up last year, which was pretty hilarious watching the race to the bottom in the Big Ten West to get somebody into the game, uh, I wouldn't have seen the projection of how TCU could beat uh, Michigan. So maybe it was actually quite helpful for me specifically because I was like, hey, they're allowing a lot of yards, man. And TCU has a quarterback who's a lot better than that dude. So maybe, maybe, uh, yeah. And then I tried to keep it rolling. You know, this is the thing. You can't keep putting money on black. Like you, you put it on once and then you cash your money and you leave. <laughs> you don't keep rolling. Yeah. We cut out the part where you pick TCU to beat Georgia, but we emphasize <laughs> the part where you pick TCU to beat Michigan. That's how we do it on the podcast. Heck yeah. Um, I will say the dangerous, the danger zone is that I think we have some proof with the playoff committee of, if there are two teams in a conference that you can't figure out which one should get in and they both have good cases, their answer is neither. No, their answer is Ohio so State. Out. It's different. Well, I know, for real. I mean, like... <laughs> Ohio State went 6-7 and seven this year. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. They're Florida getting- State and Clemson but split their game. They're both really good. What should we do? It's like, I just take the second SEC or Big Ten team because we can't... It's a coin flip between Clemson and Florida State. I do think that there's a very good chance that we're seeing two 11 and one teams playing in the ACC title game. Like that's probably the most likely scenario. And if that's the case, it's a play in game and everybody should be tuned in. And I think that it will make for really compelling television and a really great stage for not just the team that makes it, but also for the conference. And no, I mean, you look at, uh, you know, I don't want to make too much of television ratings. And obviously people know that I'm in big 10 or big 12 country, But like, I do think that you look at the ratings for the games and the stages and like people watch the Big 12 game because it's a good game. And maybe the Big 10 doesn't care about that. And the SEC doesn't need to care about that. But like, I think it's great for the ACC to go in and say, we want to have a really marquee game that people want to flip on and not just watch whichever team makes the playoff, but also watch two really good teams with two fantastic quarterbacks go against each other. And frankly, I mean, the issue with TCU and Baylor when the committee took neither is that there wasn't a championship game. So frankly, if you play twice, the championship game matters more. So they're just going to take the winner of the championship game. And then the early win in September won't matter as much. Okay, I think we have an answer on this. If it was a 12 team playoff, how many would the ACC get in? I think it's two. Has to be it's two. the two teams we'll be talking about. Has to be about. two. And I don't see another team that really has a realistic case to making it three. Uh Again, and I, I think that the ACC would be closer to getting one in than getting three in if it was a 12-team playoff this yes. year. No, I think that's right. And again, we had a pit conversation in a dark horse situation, but uh, we that's kind of not where we are right pit. now. We, we didn't talk we enough love- about pit on this program. We love pit. I think that Phil Dracovich is going to be a great fit. And also, let's be real. Come on. We, we don't have to have a real can pit win the ACC and make the playoff conversation. No, but Pat Narduzzi, like, they're a good program. And they, they should feel good about where they are. And they've, they've hit on this thing here, which is um, I think that they, they develop Kenny Pickett and 
He had a great year. And now if you just want to be a place, and again, there's there's transfer quarterbacks all over the place, but be a place where established transfer quarterbacks think they have a chance to succeed. Great. I think a place like Pitt, probably the development of Kenny Pickett notwithstanding, has a better chance of getting good, consistent, high-level quarterback play through that route than trying to you know, develop the number 411 player through three years of work, and now we get two years of starting out of him. And what I, I think they're on to something here. And, you know, Pat Narduzzi has a 62 and 41 record at Pitt. He's had a winning record all in, in, in seven of his eight years, and they're 20 and seven combined in the last two seasons. So this is a playoff show, but. Pitt could win nine games again. Totally. And Pitt could be a problem. And, you know, the I feel like because of the context of what we have in the world right now, this is not going to be seen as a compliment. I think that Pitt has a very good chance of being ACC Iowa. And I mean that in a very complimentary way of where every single year, it's not even a question if they're in a bowl game. They're, they're in a bowl game. Like that's their down seasons. And their up seasons are winning nine or 10 and having a chance to go to a fun bowl game and maybe make a New Year's six. And, you know, are they going to compete and win the ACC again? I don't know. But like they did it before. And, you know, so so when you have up seasons, like it can be really good and really fun. And more of their seasons lately have been up seasons than down. So I love what uh, what Pitt's doing there. I think that they they kind of exist in a very specific, nice place in the ACC. And again, they have managed to hold off competitors from the rest of the conference as well. So it's going to be. Interesting to see if they can continue to do that in a non-divisional setup. But I think that they're absolutely poised to do it. So I'm excited to watch them. And they keep putting out these incredible players, by the way. Like, where Jordan Addison? Israel Abanaconda? Like, Kalijah Kansi? What the? How did this dude end up at Pittsburgh? Yeah. And it just keeps happening. So it's just a thing that's going to happen. I had to look up real quick if any of Pat Narduzzi's kids are coaches. But it doesn't <laughs> seem like they are. Oh, no. So, like, it's all fine. His dad was a coach. But just double checking. All right. It's just All right. reflex. I apologize. <laughs> uh, okay. So that's our ACC preview. We just, I can't stop talking about Florida State. I just think, um, I think they've got it across the board and uh, we just would not write off Clemson. So we have the Big Ten and the Pac-12 yet to come. We appreciate you guys making us part of your college football offseason. Make sure you are checking out Shahan's work at cbssports.com. For now, for Shahan Jeharaja, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was the College Football Survivor Show. The College Football Survivor Show, where playoff survival is always on the line. 